Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Ross Parsley. I'm the lead pastor, also known as The Chief. (laughs) I I hadn't seen that thing before just now, and I was slightly embarrassed. But I do think that, I do think that this, you know, as, as these announcements go on and they do funny things like this, I just want to give you like context. Like I think it's so important for us to be the kind of people who have joy. Like just we're, we laugh easy. And I think, I think God's people are the kind of people who should laugh easily and the kind of people who shouldn't take ourselves too seriously. Do you know what I'm saying? When when we take ourselves too seriously, we get offended more easily. We get get kind of the furrowed brow. Do you know what furrowed brow? We we take things too seriously. We We don't exude a joy into our community and into our culture when we get too serious. And so I just think, that's one of the reasons we let you drink coffee in the auditorium. We want you to be a little more joyful. Just try not to spill. Uh, In Austin, they spill everywhere. I don't know. You guys are much more careful than us. And so um, I I just think we ought to be people of joy. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and smile at them. Go ahead. Smile. Okay. Now, I want you to notice what just happened. You were looking at me like this. I said, turn to your neighbor and smile. You were like, how about sending some of that this way? So great to be with you. I love to come to One Chapel Lake Travis. I love to be here. And, uh, you know, we've been in this series called um, How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And hasn't this been an incredible series on prayer? And I feel like every week we sort of stumble onto something really profound within uh, this this passage of the Lord's Prayer, this pattern of the Lord's Prayer. And I've been in church a long time, and one of the blessings of this series is basing it on the book of the same title by Pete Grigg. And I highly recommend that you get this book. And, and it's, it's one of those things that I think it's a, it's a landmark book about the Lord's Prayer and about how we pray and how to make prayer accessible. And not just prayer accessible, but what I really want you to do is enjoy it. I want you to enjoy praying. I want you to look forward to it instead of feeling like it might be a duty or a drudgery. And so I, I, I think it's a really fantastic book. And it's really based on this idea found in Luke 11, verse 1, where the disciples came to Jesus and asked him to teach them to pray. And, and, and they asked him To teach them to pray, I think, because he prayed different than them. If you think about it, most of the disciples were good Jewish boys. They would have already known how to pray. They knew all the Old Testament prayers. They knew what prayer looked like. But somehow, when they saw Jesus do it, 
when they experienced Jesus praying, they were like, you got something better than we got. (laughs) You got some kind of connection that we don't have. And they asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And so I want us to say this prayer that Jesus outlined to them as a response on how to pray. Would you join me? Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, there are 1,322 words in the Declaration of Independence. Government regulations on the sale of cabbage, 26,911 words. The Gettysburg Address is only 286 words. The Lord's Prayer is 66 words. I want to suggest to you today that it doesn't take many words to change the world. There's something about these words specifically that indicate something to us that are, that's more than words. And so the Lord's Prayer finally comes full circle today as we visit, as it lands where it begins and we come to this moment of adoration at the end of the prayer. It concludes with doxology, with praise, with worship. Having hallowed the Father's name, now we declare His glory. Having prayed His will to be done, we proclaim The power to get it done. Having invited his kingdom to come, we celebrate what has already come, both now and forevermore. We say wholeheartedly, amen, and agree with this perfect pattern of prayer. Now, these these final lines, they don't actually feature in the original The original gospel renditions didn't include this last phrase, but they've been used since the very first Christians started praying this prayer. Since the very earliest days of the church, and they are drawn directly, significantly, from King David in 1 Chronicles 29, 11. It says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. Now I want you to think about King David. In these carefully chosen words, he is relinquishing his kingdom. He's relinquishing his power. He's relinquishing his glory to the king of kings. Giving back to God every blessing that he's received himself. And I think we live in an age where this is rare. We love to speak of the kingdom 
Sometimes without ever really wanting to surrender anything costly to its king. Our time, our money, our ethics, our sexuality, our achievements, our dreams, everything about our lives are all resolutely ours. Personal surrender and costly sacrifice are rare indeed. The kingdom of God is in sort of an unthreatening and maybe momentary concept of vaguely and pleasantly desirable future prospect, but not the kind of concrete present reality that grazes our our knees as we kneel and relinquish everything we cherish to the king. But to pray these closing lines of the Lord's Prayer is to give the kingdom, the power, and the glory back to God. It's to give him everything you've just prayed through. It's to give him our little empires. I like that phrase. Our little empires. Sometimes we get consumed with thinking our empires are huge. The more successful we are, the more business we achieve, the more acclaim and fame we have, the more Facebook friends we get. No, it's a little empire. Our family, our careers, relationships, ministry. And we have to say, it's yours, Lord. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. It's to give him the power bases that we've built and say, yours, Lord, is the power. It's to give him our credibility, our trophies of success and say, yours, Lord, is the glory forever and right now. Consider how wrongheaded the opposite of this might be. Mine is the kingdom. (laughs) Mine is the power. Mine is the glory. This sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Since I have five children, I have had the experience with every single one of them as they turned from a baby to a little human that they started talking. And one of the first words has always been, come on, you guessed it, mine. We might have reinforced it by making them watch Finding Nemo over and over again. You remember those seagulls and then mine, 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 mine. In the Parsley family, one of my nephews is famous for a little phrase that he whispered one day after getting in trouble for forcing one of his sisters to bend to his will. They were quite young and they're playing with... They were playing with dolls and were G.I. Joes or something, and, and he was trying to impose his will on her as they were playing, and she got upset and started crying, and then she went and told her mom, and so his mom comes in and chastises him for trying to tell his little sister what to do, and she said, you're not in charge here. She said, I'm in charge And you can't boss your little sister around like you're the one in charge. And he begrudgingly but adequately um, responded to his mother and she left the room. And he was overheard, though, and a few minutes later, holding one of those little dolls very close to his face and whispering, I'm in charge. (laughs) 
it runs deep within us very, very early. We could translate these words into our modern language. I'm in charge. I can do anything I want. I'm awesome. Which is kind of the mindset of our day. But it's the complete opposite of this. I love how Eugene Peterson puts this ending to the Lord's Prayer in the Message Bible. He says, you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes. Yes, yes. But it's here that I think there is one more thing left for us to uncover about prayer. Because this idea that God is in charge, that he can do anything he wants, and his ways are beautifully perfect, is what can lead us to become disenchanted with prayer even discouraged with prayer. Because if God is all these things, why doesn't his answers to our prayers seem better? (laughs) Why doesn't he answer more quickly? Why doesn't he answer more consistently? In other words, how do I say amen to a prayer that I'm not sure if God's actually going to answer? How do I agree with God when I don't see it? How do I say yes without knowing for sure that God really hears me? I remember early one Sunday morning, a little over three years ago, when Amy and I were getting ready for church. And she woke up not feeling very well and realized something was kind of off. She just felt off. She was doing her hair and trying to get ready when it happened. Suddenly, she found herself unable to speak. She was actually trying, (laughs) she was trying to fix her hair enough to take herself to the ER because she knew something was wrong, but she didn't know exactly what. She didn't want to bother me because, you know, I have church. But then she started to panic. She was able to finally blurt out, Ross, something's wrong. I was in the other room. I could tell tell by the tremble in her voice. You know, it just didn't sound right. Something bad was happening. And I, I asked, I yelled out, what's wrong? Silence. She couldn't tell me. She started to cry and I said it more forcefully. Babe, what's wrong? She barely got it out. I can't can't speak. She was having a stroke. (laughs) Then I kind of freaked out a little bit because I saw her and she was crying and she 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 couldn't really talk to me. And I started, it was so crazy. I started praying like a crazy person immediately. And I wasn't even fully dressed and I just went up to her and I put my hands on her and I, I put my hands on her shoulder and I started praying in the name of Jesus, whatever's going on here, Father, I pray that you would heal Amy right now. I prayed loudly. I prayed rudely. <laughs> I prayed aggressively, desperately. I prayed in tongues and I prayed in English and I prayed in any other language I might have known. It was honest. It was raw. It was frantic. It was It was desperate. It was my first reaction. It was real. It was, it was a deep thing that came out of me. It was all I knew to do. And then immediately we, 
called the doctor and, 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 and began to move towards the ER. And I think it was three ambulance rides later, we finally ended up at the hospital where we were going to spend the next few days. And it's interesting, the doctor told us that the MRI showed an episode in her brain that for some reason suddenly stopped. I believe it was prayer. But then we went through two years of searching for why a 46-year-old woman with no risk factors would have a stroke. And I went to bed many nights during this season thinking about mortality. You know, you lay your head down on the pillow and she's there next to me and I'm, I, I, I rehearse in my mind, I, I wonder if she's going to wake up okay. And I, I developed a habit of late night prayer because of that. <laughs> Consistent and persistent Late night prayer. And finally, uh, after two years of searching and testing and putting a little monitor inside of her chest that monitored her heartbeats and all that kind of thing, they ended up concluding, not conclusively, but concluding that there was a little hole in her heart and it, it was just a little bit too big and some blood had gotten caught in the transfer across the heart. And so she, so she had that flap on, her, on the back of her heart closed. And that was kind of the end of that season. Except for sometimes when we're arguing with each other and she'll say, you need to be easy on me, I have brain damage. But those two years were really hard. Two years of waiting, two years of struggling, two years of just thinking. I know you've been through your own issues or worries or concerns, wondering if God hears you, wondering what he's going to do, wondering if he's going to do anything. Jesus addresses this very question in Luke 18. Verse 1 through 8, I'm going to read the story. It says, one day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in the dispute with my enemy. And the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. (laughs) I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the son of man returns, how many will he find on the earth? Who have faith. I want to suggest to you that Jesus is telling this story for some obvious reasons about not giving up in prayer. But it's important that you understand that the judge he describes, 
He's not saying that this judge is like God. In fact, he's nothing like God. His point to the story is that the unjust judge could render a just verdict. And if that's true, you'd better believe God himself will give a just verdict to his people, will give justice to his people, is what he says. Jesus says to those who cry out day and night to him, be persistent in prayer, be consistent, be confident that God hears you. But the story ends with a curious comment from Jesus. Do you see it? It's in verse 8. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith? In other words, how many people will he find that will keep praying? How many people will he find that though they don't see exactly what they want to see, they'll keep praying? How many people will be full of faith enough that they will be willing to cry out to God day and night? In this last chapter of the book, How to Pray that we're following by Pete Gregg. There's this story he tells about, about how he ends up in a place that he prayed for many years earlier. And it ends with this phrase. And it's God speaking to him. And he says, Pete, you need to understand that I never forget a single prayer you pray. You forget most of the things you ask me, but I never do. That's a cool idea, isn't it? The one who numbers every hair on our heads and stores every tear that we cry. Remembers every prayer that we pray. This is a mind-blowing truth if we're willing to hear it. If God continues to work towards the fulfillment of our prayers long after we've even forgotten praying them, there must be occurrences and apparent coincidences in your life and mine most days that are the direct answers to prayers and questions we don't even remember asking. One of the things that I'm talking about a lot with Pastor Bill Hart, who pastors Austin Cathedral, where we're going to have our worship night, right? Before we dig in on the renovations, because Austin is going to purchase that building. Um, uh, there's There's a thing we're talking about a lot because this man came to Austin more than 35, I think 37 years ago maybe, and he started an early morning prayer meeting that lasted for like eight years, 6 a.m. for about eight or nine years because he felt like it was God's assignment to come and to, to break the principalities and powers over this city. And it was really an amazing thing to hear those kinds of stories because the truth is, I think I'm one of the answers to those prayers. I think one chapel is one of the answers to those prayers because back in those days there were even less churches within our city, within our region. And Pastor Bill and I have talked a bit about how he had so many prayers he prayed and could never imagine that at 72 years old a church would come and take the baton from him carry on the legacy of prayer and worship and reaching into the city. There's an idea that's known as the the butterfly effect. You ever heard of this? The American mathematician Edward Lawrence famously postulated that minor atmospheric disturbances such as the flapping of butterfly wings can 
eventually, as it happens around the world, enter in, alter entire weather patterns. It's a crazy idea that's fascinating. I want to ask you, shouldn't we expect similar butterfly effects from prayer? What chain of events might be set in motion by the very next words you say to God? Prayers are prophecies, Mark Batterson says. They're the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers become the script of your life. Perhaps, perhaps like the Madagascar palm, which is a plant that can take 10 or more years to bloom, many of our unanswered prayers are not dead, but dormant in the heart of God. Awaiting the perfect conditions in which to bear fruit in this life or even in the next. This was the case with the woman who suffered from bleeding for 12 years in the story that Jesus experienced in Luke chapter 8. He says, as Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. And when the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet, in the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. This woman's struggle lasted more than a decade. Twelve years of working on this, disappointments and discouragement, faith dormant in her heart for years and years, suddenly awakened to bear the fruit of a miraculous healing. There's a picture that I want to show you that was really profound. When I was in Israel with the leadership team, we ended up in a room, and you can kind of see the edges of the room there, you see, this is a painting in a room in a church that was dedicated to great women of the Bible. And there's a whole room that's kind of set up like a first century synagogue. And we went in there and there's this table that sits right in front of this mural that's on the wall. And we just stood there and prayed and the Holy Spirit came on our team in a power encounter that was incredible. Because we got in touch with the idea that this woman had the kind of faith to endure. The kind of prayers that would endure, that would go beyond her circumstances. And the kind of faith that she would, you could see her hand right there. You could see it as she reaches through, reaches through the crowd and touches the hem of his garment. I wonder if we could adopt that same kind of mindset even in the face of our own disappointment and discouragement and struggle. You see, we pray in days, weeks, and months. But God is working for generations to come. 
He's working for generations to come. The great hymn writer Frederick Faber wrote almost 200 years ago, He is slow. (laughs) He is slow. We are swift and precipitate. It is because we are but for a time and He has been from eternity. Thus grace for the most part acts slowly. He works by little and by little. There is something greatly overawing in the extreme slowness of God. Let it overshadow our souls, but let it not disquiet them. We must wait for God long, meekly, in the wind and wet, in the thunder and the lightning and the cold and the dark. Wait, and he will come. Whenever we say amen, At the end of a prayer, we're speaking an ancient Hebrew word from the Old Testament that is used in the synagogues and later adopted by the church. It literally means, yes, I agree, so be it. You see, amen is not just a polite way of signing off at the end of a prayer, but rather an emphatic way of voicing agreement. There's this powerful thing that Jesus calls us to do and he promises that if Two of you agree about anything that you ask for. It will be done for you. There's this incredible power with agreement in prayer. When we say amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we are saying yes to God's fatherhood. We say yes to count me in as part of this family. We are agreeing with God's people all around the world that his kingdom will come and his will will be done no matter how long it takes. And together, as the Apostle Paul puts it, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. In the book of Revelation, John, he sees 24 elders. In Revelation 5, 8, he says, each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And once full... These bowls will be poured out at the end of the age in a great universal amen. I find it awesome to imagine that all the true prayers I've ever prayed, all the frustrations, all the tears, all the dashed hopes and the yearnings are not wasted but cherished, remembered by God, stored up in one of those golden bowls awaiting It's fulfillment. Our prayers for healing, while they may not be fully answered, neither have they been forgotten. They are heard and they are held, awaiting an ultimate answer. And on that day, when brain tumors, cancer, grief, and birth defects will finally be defeated, every single time we say amen, we pull the kingdom of God a little closer. Great theologian Tim Chester says, prayers we think of as directed to the present are in fact being stored up to be answered on the final day. When we pray for those suffering ill health, we are expressing our longing for the day when there will be no more sickness. When we pray for God to end wars and oppression, we are expressing our longing for the day when the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ 
Revelation 11.15. When we pray for mercy on those suffering natural disasters, we are expressing our longing for the day when creation itself will be remade. The prayers we think have gone unanswered may in fact be stored up in the bowls of incense held by the 24 elders waiting for a greater fulfillment than ever we anticipated. Many of our prayers are lodged there and one day they will be determined. They will determine the ultimate course of history. Listen, one day we will discover that all our praying in this life was just a boot camp for our adventure to come. This is just the opening chapter of a much bigger story. When you can see the bigger picture, we're being trained to exercise authority as Christ's representatives in this new world by learning how to partner with him in prayer, how to collaborate for his kingdom purpose, <laughs> like the karate kid waxing cars. <laughs> we're developing character and muscle memory for greater battles. And greater victories to come when we pray, hallowed be your name. We are learning to make decisions and reign for his glory. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are learning to exercise authority on earth as it is already in heaven. Listen, the heart and soul of prayer is this. The God who made you loves you. If you could get that little piece right there. If you could just take that and that would be the core belief from which you pray. You would experience something that moves you beyond where you are to where God wants you to be. He longs to walk and talk with you in an ever deepening friendship. He loves that you've taken time to be with him because he wants to know you better and he wants you to know him better. He doesn't expect you to get it right all the time. <laughs> He understands that some kinds of prayers come more naturally to you than others. The great 19th century preacher C.H. Spurgeon said that prayer is an art only the Holy Spirit can teach. Therefore, Spurgeon suggests, we pray for prayer and we pray until you can really pray. <laughs> pray until you can really pray. Ultimately, we learn prayer by praying. By regularly setting aside time alone with God. And if you forget everything else we've talked about in this series, remember our little acronym, PRAY. Do you remember it? Pause. Because so often you have to stop in order to start. You remember the, the greyhound in the bistro chairs running around? Some of you are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You can go back and listen to the, one of the, I think it's the second message in the series on pause. Rejoice is part of this acronym because you have a loving Heavenly Father who really, 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 really likes you. Ask because one of the most powerful ways to humble yourself is to admit that you need help. Yield because God's ways are so much better than ours. And he wants to share his life with you. And I want to just, before I go right here, I want to give you, because I, I feel like we, this, this, um, this idea of prayer and activating it needs an, an application. And I want to suggest there are five ways to say amen. Five ways to say amen. I'm just going to give them to you quickly. If you want to write them down, I think it's a big deal to write things down so you can remember 
Five ways we say amen to God and to one another. Number one, pray the scriptures. Hey, it's the best source material. Hey, it's praying the scriptures back to God who wrote them, who said them, who released them. Pray the scriptures. Don't just, you don't have to come up with all this stuff in your own head. There's a whole bunch of, there's a body of work, a whole bunch of promises that have already been written down and you just take those and you begin to pray them, make them part of your own. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and merit, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It separates it all for you. Whatever soulish of you and whatever, versus whatever spiritual, it, the, the scriptures separate it. Listen, the scriptures are the best source material for our prayers. Number two, pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. Much like amen, Praying in Jesus' name is not just a nice ending. Here's what praying in Jesus' name means. It means you belong to a family. You have his name. You belong to him. You can use his name. It's his authority that you're praying in, not yours. You're praying in the name of Jesus. You're praying in the authority of Jesus Christ himself. You don't have to be shy about that. You don't have to be embarrassed about that. You don't have to shrink back from that. In fact, you can pray boldly because you're not talking about your power. You have the authority of Jesus when you pray. John 14, 12 through 14 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater. Everybody say greater. Greater. Oh, what does that mean? Greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. So... 12 sermons right there. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. It's a powerful idea. Number three, you say amen by praying. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't just mean pray in your prayer language, which I think is a scriptural idea. And it's a good thing to do. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, he said, I want everybody to pray in tongues, right? But that's not just what it means. Romans 8, 26 and 27 says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. In other words, when you pray under the direction of the Holy Spirit, when you pray under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be led. He lives in you. like It's God himself living in you that changes the nature of your prayers. You can actually pray God's will from him through your own heart, through your own lips. Pray under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Number four, pray together. Pray together. Matthew 18 says, 18, 19 says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about 
anything they ask for, it will be done by, for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. Listen, you, I want you to speak your prayers with each other and engage your whole body. Sometimes when we think our prayers, they don't come out right. Because you, you're aware of this, right? The battleground is right here. That's why when you pray in the morning and it's your quiet time, my quiet time tends to become a sleep time. Unless I, unless I speak my prayers out. And there's something powerful about getting your body, your mind, your body, uh, your, your, your thoughts, and God's spirit all moving the same direction. And one of the ways you do that is you pray with other people. And when you pray with other people, there's something else that happens, which is the power of agreement. It's what we talked about earlier. The amen is not only to God, but to one another. And we encourage one another as we do this. The power of agreement is in the relationships God gives us. You should pray alone. You should pray by yourself. You should pray in hiddenness and quietness. But man, we should pray together more. Number five, pray continuously. Pray continuously. I want the band to come up. Pray continuously means that prayer should become intermingled with your daily thoughts. With your daily words and actions. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now listen, there was a brilliant man by the name of Brother Lawrence, and he worked in a monastery. And his job in that monastery was to cook. And he started to get a revelation from God about this conversation, this idea of prayer. I mean, imagine it. All these holy guys in a monastery and the cook gets the revelation. <laughs> That's how God does it. The revelation was that no matter what you're doing, no matter what conversations you're having, you can always have two going on at the same time. He wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a, it's a classic. Everyone should read it. It's, a, it's letters that he wrote about this revelation. And he called it an habitual, secret, and silent conversation with God. It just, it just flows. It just happens all the time. And I want us to take some time here at the end of our service to practice this together. I want us to pray together. And I, I wonder if you'd be willing to lean into what we've talked about today. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe you're in the, a long waiting period. Maybe something's going on in your life and you're just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I should do. I'm not sure how to proceed. I'm not sure if God really hears me. I wonder if you'd be willing to lean in with faith. To agree with others right here in this place. To ready yourself with worship and prayer and agree together as we sing and as we pray. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up to the front and we're just going to take a few moments and we're going to let God speak to us about this idea. Let's join together in this 
time of singing, praying, worshiping. Let's tell God you're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're ablaze in beauty. Yes. 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 Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.